Hi, thanks for listening to Top Audiobooks. Remember to follow our channel here on the platform, and also our social media. We prepare a graphic of the book, with the author's key points and main ideas. Click that book graphic link in description now, and have access to an illustrated material with simple and easy steps, so you know everything about the book in minutes. Emotional Intelligence – Why It Can Matter More Than IQ by Daniel Goleman This was one of the first books to comprehensively review the research, insights, and implications of emotional intelligence. In this summary, we'll present the insights in four parts to explain the biology behind emotions and why emotional intelligence can matter much more than academic intelligence. Let's begin. Part 1. Emotions and the Human Brain Emotions are strong impulses that drive us to take action to help us survive. For example, anger increases our heart rate and blood circulation to unlock energy so we can confront an enemy. Surprises cause the eyes to widen so we can take in more of our surroundings to figure out what's happening. The human brain evolved from the bottom up over millions of years. The brain stem is located at the top of the spinal cord and runs our body's key functions, like breathing and digestion, automatically. The first mammals developed a new limbic system on top of the brain stem. This is responsible for our basic emotions and gives us the ability to learn and adapt to new environments. About 100 million years ago, the neocortex, or the frontal lobe, was formed on top of the limbic system. This is our rational mind, which enables us to integrate and analyze data, manage our senses and emotions, and make conscious decisions. Humans have a much larger neocortex than any other species, giving us a superior intellect. In short, we have an emotional mind that's intuitive and impulsive, and a rational mind that's thoughtful and analytical. Our thoughts and feelings are linked. Most of the time, they feed off each other to provide deeper insights and to help us make better decisions. However, we can feel conflicted when our logic tells us one thing while our feelings tell us another. Emotional hijacking happens when we act on impulse before the logical brain has had the chance to assess the situation and choose a response. The amygdala is constantly scanning for potential threats. Once it perceives a threat, it instantly sends out a crisis message to the rest of your brain, hijacking most of the brain functions, including your rational mind. This is your body's way of protecting you in times of peril. For example, you may intuitively jump away from a table before you realize that someone spilt a bowl of hot soup. Basically, sensory information from our eyes and ears go to the brain's thalamus. From there, one synapse goes to the neocortex, which processes the signals before routing them to the other parts of the brain. Another synapse goes directly from the thalamus to the amygdala. The amygdala can react faster than the neocortex because its pathway to the thalamus is shorter 
and the neocortex takes a moment to process the data before responding. Your brain also stores normal facts separately from emotionally charged memories. Emotional memories are stored in the amygdala as raw impressions. The stronger the feelings, the deeper the imprint on the amygdala. When the amygdala encounters something that resembles an old memory, it'll trigger a similar response. That's why we may instantly like or dislike something without knowing why. Unlike the neocortex, our amygdala is almost fully formed at birth. This allows us to accumulate emotional memories even before we have the language or logic to articulate those experiences. These memories influence us throughout our lives in the form of raw, unconscious impulses. Usually, when an emotion is triggered, the prefrontal lobes will assess the situation and decide on the best course of action. It manages our emotions by dampening the emotional activation signals while it processes the situation and by moderating surges of negative emotion. For example, you may feel a wave of panic when you hear a series of gunshots, then calm down when you realize they're just party crackers. Typically, your rational thoughts and emotions work together. You need your emotions to know your preferences, priorities, and choose the right job or life partner. Yet, strong emotions can make it hard to think clearly. Part 2. Emotional Intelligence Emotional intelligence is your ability to exert self-control, regulate your moods, empathize with others, Research suggests that a person's IQ accounts for only 20% of success in life. The remaining 80% comes from non-IQ factors such as luck, social class, and emotional intelligence. No matter how smart you are, you won't do well if your emotions are out of control. Children and adults with strong emotional skills were found to be more effective contented, focused, and productive. Goldman presents a detailed review of theories and insights from different researchers and psychologists and shares five components of emotional intelligence. In his subsequent books, he reclassified these into four categories, self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, and relationship management. We'll now take a closer look at each of the five components of emotional intelligence in this book. The first component is self-awareness, which is about being aware of your emotions as they arise. Instead of hitting someone with uncontrolled rage, you can observe that you're furious with a person. This awareness shifts your mental activities to the neocortex so your unconscious gut feelings become conscious. You can now evaluate your experience, make deliberate choices, and even notice your feelings about your feelings. For example, if you know why you're feeling irritable, you can do something to fix it, or simply shrug it off and move on. The stronger your emotional awareness, the more you'll be aware of what used to be unconscious such as your deepest fears or desires. 
People who are self-aware tend to have more clarity and control over their emotions. They enjoy better psychological health compared to people who get engulfed by their feelings or passively accept their moods without trying to manage them. The second component is self-regulation. We usually can't control our emotions when they first surface, but we can manage our responses to decide how long the feelings last, and we can react in a way that's appropriate for the situation. Self-regulation means the ability to soothe yourself so you won't be incapacitated by feelings of distress and can bounce back more quickly from setbacks. Let's take a closer look at three common feelings that people struggle with, anger, anxiety, and sadness. We get angry when we feel attacked physically or symbolically. Anger brings a rush of energy to prime us for action making it easier for the next strong feeling to trigger an emotional hijack. After a frustrating day, you're more likely to blow up at someone. When you dwell on the reasons for your anger or give vent to your anger, it only increases your state of arousal to fuel your rage. The best way to quench your anger is to pause quickly and consider the opposite perspective. For example, if a driver cuts right in front of you, you may start cursing at the selfish bastard for putting your life at risk. Pause and diffuse your anger by reframing those assumptions. For example, he may not have seen you, or he may be in a rush due to an emergency. Once your anger has escalated beyond a certain point, no amount of reasoning will help. In such cases, try to cool down first. Go for a long walk, try some relaxation techniques, or exercise to release steam. When we're anxious, we tend to replay the problem in our minds to try to find a solution. However, we can get stuck in an unproductive worry loop. Chronic worrying tends to involve a catastrophic image which leads to all sorts of imaginary causes and outcomes. Learn to recognize your anxiety cues before you spiral downward. Use relaxation techniques to ease your tension and challenge the worrisome thought. Ask yourself, what is the likelihood of it happening and what can you do to address it? If there's nothing you can do, then there's no point worrying. We feel sad when we've lost something or someone important. Melancholy helps us to shut down temporarily, conserve our energy, mourn the loss, and regroup. However, you can fall into despair if you dwell on bad feelings without a viable cause of action. For example, thinking how tired or useless you are. You end up making mistakes or getting fired, which then worsens your confidence and negative feelings. To overcome depression challenge and reframe the depressing thoughts. Distract yourself with pleasant activities like exercising, watching a funny movie, or reading an uplifting book. Engineer a small win, help others in need, or turn to a transcendent power like God. The third component of emotional intelligence is self-motivation. 
This is about managing your impulses so they support your goals, including the ability to delay gratification, stay motivated, and challenge your feelings productively. In a study, four-year-old kids were given a choice. They could eat a marshmallow right away or have two marshmallows if they waited for about 15 minutes. The kids who held out for two marshmallows grew up to be more confident, reliable, and socially competent adolescents. They handled challenges better and had higher SAT scores compared to the kids who couldn't resist grabbing the marshmallows. Bad moods tend to call up negative memories to make us more cautious, while good moods enhance our creativity and problem-solving abilities. Being hopeful about the future also helps us to take constructive steps forward instead of simply giving up. Psychologist Martin Selgman found that optimists tend to perform much better than pessimists because of how they explain their failures. Optimists attribute failure to something specific within their control. For example, I failed because I used the wrong approach. Pessimists blame their failure on a broad reason beyond their control. For example, I'm just too stupid to get this right. Learn to adopt an optimistic view of your challenges. Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi used the word flow to describe people who are in an enjoyable state of peak performance. People who are in flow learn faster, perform better, and feel joy and fulfillment from their task. This is emotional intelligence at its peak, since you are stretching yourself and harnessing your inner strength without any anxiety. To get in flow, find a task you're skilled at, focus your attention on it, and perform at just the edge of your current abilities, so you're neither bored nor anxious. The last two components of emotional intelligence are empathy and relationship management. Relationship management is ultimately about managing others' emotions. To do that, you must first be able to recognize others' feelings and be attuned to their needs and wants. Thomas Hatch and Howard Gardner identified four components of interpersonal intelligence. The ability to organize group efforts, negotiate solutions, connect with other people, and accurately identify others' feelings, motives, and concerns. Humans have a natural tendency to mirror or mimic others' expressions or nonverbal cues. We can sense and even catch others' moods. People who are more forceful in expressing their feelings tend to transmit their feelings to others. Great leaders and performers can move a huge audience by artfully sending the right signals. Now, let's explore how all five components of emotional intelligence come to play in various aspects of our life. Part 3. Applying Emotional Intelligence Emotional Intelligence in Marriage With divorce rates on the rise, emotional intelligence is more crucial than ever to hold a marriage together. Hi, thanks for listening to Top Audiobooks. Remember to follow our channel here on the platform, and also our social media.
we prepare a graphic of the book, with the author's key points and main ideas. Click that book graphic link in description now, and have access to an illustrated material with simple and easy steps, so you know everything about the book in minutes. A starting point is to recognize gender differences in handling relationships. Men are socialized to value independence, while women are socialized to value connections. In a marriage, women usually prefer to talk through relationship issues, while men avoid them. Women are more sensitive to their husbands' feelings and get upset when their husbands fail to do the same. After studying hundreds of couples in a lab setting, John Gottman found three telltale signs that a marriage is on the rocks. When at least one party uses harsh criticisms, delivers the criticism with contempt, or withdraws into stony silence, called stonewalling, all three behaviors are immensely hurtful and tend to trigger the other party's counterattack or withdrawal which injures the relationship further. There are two levels in any communication, what's said and what's unsaid. You may say, Would you like to check why the kids are screaming? When you're thinking, He just can't be bothered to help out. Your spouse detects the underlying feelings and responds as if he's being attacked, thus triggering an emotional hijack. When emotional hijacking happens regularly, couples find it hard to recover. Gottman calls this flooding. A partner who's continually flooded feels overwhelmed and thinks the worst of the other party. By this stage, even a harmless comment can spark a fight. Men are more prone to flooding, get triggered at low levels, and take longer to recover. They're also more likely to stonewall which in turn causes huge emotional distress to their wives. She then retaliates by criticizing him, which only triggers him further, and the situation spirals out of control. The solution is for couples to develop shared emotional intelligence so you can break the vicious cycle and work things out before it's too late. To the men out there, Realize that your wife is bringing up a grievance not to attack you, but to improve the relationship. Even if you disagree with her views, you can empathize with her feelings. Once she feels hurt, she'll probably calm down. As for women, be mindful not to use personal criticisms or show contempt. Always reassure your spouse that you love him. Have a prior agreement for either side to call for a timeout once you notice signs of flooding. Use the XYZ formula to express a complaint constructively. When you did X, it made me feel Y, and I'd rather you did Z instead. Catch and challenge any negative thoughts of victimization or self-righteousness. Learn to listen past the anger and ideally listen for the feelings behind the words. If you can empathize or mirror your partner's feelings, it'll quickly soothe the negative feelings. Shift to the positive by expressing your love and what you appreciate about them. Emotional Intelligence in Health and Medicine 
Today, there is strong evidence that patients' emotional states can affect their disease progression and recovery. Our emotions affect our nervous system and a range of hormones, which in turn affect our immune system. Specifically, chronic anger, anxiety, and depression can increase people's susceptibility to diseases, impede recovery, and even increase the risk of death. By contrast, positive feelings and social support seem to help with health and recovery. Optimistic patients are less likely to die after a heart attack and recover faster from a bypass surgery and paralyzing spinal injuries. Heart attack patients who received anger control training had 44% lower heart attack rates. The number and quality of your relationships also seems to buffer the effects of stress. Patients with advanced breast cancer survived two times as long when they attended weekly meetings with other patients. Medical care professionals should address patients' psychological needs along with their medical needs. Teach patients relaxation techniques and ways to soothe their negative emotions, encourage them to get social support, and provide information to minimize anxieties from unanswered questions. Emotional intelligence can even be incorporated into health education and disease prevention programs for children, retirees, and people at risk. Part 4. Windows of Opportunity for Change Children learn their first lessons on emotion through family life. From the moment they're born, babies start to develop a basic level of trust or distrust in human interactions based on how far their needs are noticed and tended to. As children grow up, their daily interactions with adults also reinforce their emotional outlook and skills. Those who receive consistent encouragement tend to be more curious, confident, and enjoy learning. Children who suffer from neglect end up even worse off than those who are abused. Children who are violently punished since young never learn what it means to show care and concern for others. When other children get upset, they respond with aggression because that's the only approach they know. The lack of emotional skills leads to learning difficulties, rejection by peers, and higher risks of depression or crime by adulthood. The best approach is to use children's emotional upsets as opportunities to coach them to identify soothe, and manage their feelings. The three worst approaches are to ignore children's upsets, passively accept the feelings without trying to manage them, or to treat feelings with contempt, such as dismissing the feelings or disallowing children to express their feelings. Emotional illiteracy in children and teens have severe long-term implications. Bullying, depression, eating disorders, and alcohol or drug abuse are all related to a lack of emotional awareness and skills. Such problems can be minimized or even prevented by teaching children to adopt an optimistic view of challenges, identify and soothe their distress, and connect to a support network. Without proper intervention, the emotional problems take root and get amplified by adulthood. Conquering Your Temperaments we are all born with basic dispositions. Psychologist Jerome Kagan 
found at least four temperament types, timid, bold, upbeat, and melancholy. These arise due to differences in the brain's emotional circuits that affect how easily a feeling is triggered, how long it lasts, and how intense it becomes. Timid people have neural circuits that are more easily triggered. For example, their hearts start to beat faster even at lower levels of stress. They avoid new or unfamiliar situations and are more prone to stress-related problems. By contrast, bold people have a higher natural threshold for stress and uncertainty. Upbeat people have more activity in their left frontal lobes and tend to stay unfazed no matter the situation. On the other hand, melancholy people have a more active right frontal lobe. Such genetic differences stay with us for life, but our innate predispositions can be magnified or dampened by our childhood experiences. For example, Infants with an easily excitable amygdala can relearn their responses by kindergarten if their parents encourage them to overcome their fears instead of coddling them. Each time they calm themselves, their prefrontal circuits are practicing how to moderate the amygdala. Many systems in our body have a critical formative period, during which the changes have a major impact on our subsequent behavior. For example, the orbital frontal area of the prefrontal cortex goes through a critical period of growth in babies from 10 to 18 months. During this period, if infants are picked up and held each time they cried, the links between the neocortex and limbic brain are reinforced. The neocortex becomes more effective in switching off distressful emotions, and the infants learn to soothe themselves. Emotional Relearning Our brains continue to change throughout our lives. Patients with obsessive-compulsive disorders could change their brain circuits if they repeatedly expose themselves to the item of obsession, force themselves not to act upon it, and question their fears. In fact, most emotional trauma can be healed. Post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, is actually a form of limbic disorder. The traumatic experience is so vividly imprinted in the emotional circuits that the amygdala sounds the alarm every time it encounters a signal associated with the trauma. Someone who was mugged in a lift may be afraid of elevators and enclosed spaces or panic when they see someone wearing a cap. Normally, our fears would fade over time as the old memory gets moderated by new memories. However, if you keep getting emotionally hijacked due to PTSD, the brain doesn't get the chance to learn from new experiences. The best way to recover is to get patients to relearn their encounter and retrain the neocortex to manage the amygdala. There are three stages in trauma recovery. First, you start to regain a sense of safety or control, usually through medication or relaxation techniques. Next, you acknowledge the trauma and the loss it brought. By recounting the details of the trauma and putting your feelings into words, 
you extract these subconscious elements from the amygdala to be processed by the neocortex so you can understand and moderate those feelings. This must be done in a safe environment, for example, with the help of a therapist, so the brain can recreate the scene without the same terror. With each retelling, the trauma loses its grip until the victim can fully mourn his or her losses and move on. You can also express the trauma using art. Children tend to use games as an outlet. After a shootout in an elementary school, the kids started to reenact the shooting scene with toy guns, except in their games they sometimes got to win by killing the shooter. This helped them to regain a sense of control and come to terms with the trauma. Finally, the patients started to re-establish a normal life. They may still experience symptoms throughout their lives, but the traumatic memories no longer explode uncontrollably and they can revisit the memory without falling apart. By now, you've learned the architecture of the human brain, how emotions and emotional intelligence work, and how they can be applied in all aspects of life. The book is packed with academic research, studies, and examples on the human brain, psychology, and behavioral sciences. If you've enjoyed the ideas in this summary, do get a copy of the book or visit danielgoldman.info for more details. Hi, thanks for listening to Top Audiobooks. Remember to follow our channel here on the platform and also our social media. We prepare a graphic of the book with the author's key points and main ideas. Click that book graphic link in description now and have access to an illustrated material with simple and easy steps, so you know everything about the book in minutes.